I do just want to say I, I have been praying regularly, uh, just thankful um, that we have the body that we have, um, that um, while uh, I know this is, the changes are uncomfortable for all of us, uh, and uh, I think you can understand it's it's uncomfortable for the elders to try to figure out how to manage all of this stuff, um, but uh, just so thankful that that I'm just so thankful for you guys that that you have been flexible through all of this, all of the changes, um, and uh, probably more to come. We'll see, but uh, but thankfully we get to be back inside today, um, and uh, really appreciate Kevin and Dan um, leading us in worship. Uh, in a in the acoustic way, it was just fun to have it just be a little bit different out there. Um, and I'm also very excited uh, for our study today. Uh, we get to continue on in Romans. Um, that's going to flash for a second. Um, and um, last week we covered the first seven verses in uh, in Romans chapter one, and um, we're continuing on this morning. Uh, with kind of an introduction, we're still kind of in the introductory uh, comments that, that Paul makes. Um, and when I say introductory, I don't mean insignificant. They're very significant comments, as we'll see. Um, but he's still kind of introducing um, who he is, who he's speaking to. Um, he's uh, introducing the subject matter about which he's about to cover in Romans. And... Um, and so that should hopefully set us up for what we're going to be looking at the next few months. But let me pray for us and we'll get, we'll get started. Lord, we uh, just thank you that we get to be inside the, the coolness this morning, um, that we get to uh, open up your words to us, that we get to uh, be impacted by, um, by your revelation to us about this um, this proclamation, this good news that uh, Paul was bringing 2,000 years ago that is equally good news to us today. And um, I just pray as we dive in this morning that, uh, that you would be the teacher, that your spirit would, would, would guide us into every truth that we see here this morning, and that, um, that we would walk away changed, that we wouldn't allow maybe familiarity with, uh, with especially a couple of these verses, that we wouldn't allow familiarity to, um, to breed contempt on our part, but that uh, you would allow it to... Um, to, to mold us and shape us and change us and that we'd be able to see it um, new again and, um, and that we, we'd be changed. Um, and only you can do that in our lives. Pray this all in your name. Amen. So Paul uh, starts out here and um, let me just start by reading uh, verse 8 for us until we can, we can click into it. Paul starts out, he says, first, I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. He's, he's thanking God regularly, even though, um, as we talked about last week, he didn't establish this church. Uh, he only knew a handful of people from this church, but he... He was spending time in his own prayers, and, and, and regularly he was spending time in these prayers, um, thanking God for these believers, th this, this church. 
And um, something to clarify here right from the beginning is that uh, the, the Roman church, and actually most churches in the first century, but we know the Roman church, was a series of house churches. It wasn't one collective church that all met in some grand cathedral or something, um, but they, they met in smaller groups of believers in, in house churches, in, in, in homes, um, larger homes. And, um, and so when he refers to them and he refers to the church, he's really talking about these assemblies of believers all throughout Rome, these, these Christians that, that were united together in Christ, but physically were probably in different locations from week to week to week. Um, and he says, I thank God for you, for all of you, because of your faith. Now, that, that's, I think that's pretty important, um, that this church was, was not uh, well-known for the, for the church, the church itself wasn't well-known, but their faith was well-known throughout the, the, the whole world. I mean, he says proclaimed throughout the whole world. Obviously, he's not referring to every single per- person on the planet knowing about the Roman church. He's talking about throughout all of the churches and the believers throughout the, the world, the, the word had gotten around about these guys' faith. Um. We have churches in our uh, time, in our, in our, our uh, generation, that are well-known. Um, and by the way, I'm not endorsing any of these ministries, by the way, but uh, Bethel Church, Hillsong Church, Elevation Church, they're all very well-known throughout Christian communities, but they're well-known because of their what? Their, their worship, their music. That's what they're known for, Right? Um, churches like uh, Grace Community Church in Los Angeles, Lakewood Church, again, not endorsing, uh, in, in Texas, uh, Shadow Mountain Community Church uh, are all, all well-known because of what? Uh, somebody said it. They're pastors, right? They're well-known pastors. You have John MacArthur and Joel Osteen. Stay far away from Joel Osteen. Um, but uh, Dr. David Jeremiah, these guys are known because they're, you know, the, David Jeremiah has a TV program every week. Um, these guys are known because of their pastors. Um, we have uh, churches in <laughs> different parts of the country and the world, like uh, this is the National Cathedral in Washington. This is St. Patrick's Cathedral in uh, New York. Uh, this is Notre Dame in Paris. These are well known for their architecture and for uh, the famous people who have had funeral services there and prayer services. They're known for these things. And, and there's nothing wrong with any of those things. I'm not pointing that out to say that that's wrong. But I love that these guys were known for their faith. That's why they were notorious. That, notorious? That's why they had notoriety. That's not the right word. That's why they had notoriety, is because of their faith. Their faith and their expressions of faith were so, were, were so uh, unique that, that around, the, the, the word had gotten out about these guys. And, and, and we don't know exactly what those expressions of faith uh, look like, um, but we do know some things about the Roman church, and probably most notable is that it was right inside of Rome, right? 
that, that Rome was this, was a center of, uh, you know, was really the capital of civilization at that time. Um, it was the, the seat of law and, and government and, um, and really it considered the source of peace in the world, peace through force, but, but they really had established peace by conquering everyone. Um, and, uh, and it was the, 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 the center for the greatest speakers, um, the greatest orators of their time, which, which were kind of their rock stars of their time. Um, like like we, we think of like actors and actresses and, and, and bands and, and you know, gr- these singers that are the, the famous people of our societies. These orators were the famous people of their societies, and this was kind of the seat of that. Um, it was the center for poetry and, and, and artistry and, um, and all of that, but it was also the, the center and the seat of the worship of pagan gods. Every single pagan god of the time could be worshipped in Rome. Every kind of idolatry existed there. And this church was flourishing in the midst of that. I, this is not a one-to-one comparison because it's just not. But it's a little bit like a, a, a church flourishing in Las Vegas, right? Sin City. Like, of course we know that a church could flourish there, but it would be notable to us, right? Like, wow, like, you're, you're flourishing there? In that place? There's a thriving church in Vegas, which there are a couple of thriving churches in Vegas, by the way. So he's, he's, he's thanking God that in, in this place, in the seat of, of, of pagan idolatry, you have a church whose faith is, is, is notable, is known throughout the world. And in fact, really all of Paul's knowledge of the church came through rumors about the church, of how great this church was. And he was thanking God for them. He goes on, he says, for the God whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his son is witness of how unceasingly I make mention of you. Always in my prayers making requests. So he's again kind of, uh, he says for God, and then he has to kind of go off into this other thought for a second, which is very typical of Paul. If you've read a lot of Paul, you probably recognize that he's one of those guys um, that will start a sentence and he'll throw out the noun of the sentence, the subject of the sentence, and then kind of go off on a rabbit trail for a little while and then circle back around and kind of finish the sentence. Yeah, he's definitely doing this here. He says for God and then it's a rabbit trail, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his son. This is just a reminder of what he's already told us a few verses before, that his purpose in life is to, is, is to be this, this newscaster for what God had done, this proclaimer of this message of what God had done most recently in time, which, which in his time was only a few decades before. And, and, and his job was to proclaim this gospel, and the central subject of that gospel was Jesus. We saw that last week. But then he gets back. He says, for God is my witness, for God is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you. I talk about you all the time with God. 
I'm always praying for you. And again, we don't know the nature of these prayers, but if you can imagine a, a church that's, that's in the midst of all of that sort of difficulty or all that sort of um, idolatry and, 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 and pagan worship, that that had to affect the church. You just look at how um, our culture affects the church over time, and, and, and probably you haven't spent a lot of time thinking about this. I, I, I've studied this stuff and looked at this stuff, but um, for, for good and for bad, our culture changes the culture of the church. Um, and, and sometimes the church uh, going in certain cultural directions is probably good, that it's a way that we can, that we can speak to the culture in, in our time and our language. If we were still um, doing Gregorian chant every week, we, people would not connect with God at all through that, right? They would have no, no concept, although Gregorian chant's pretty cool, but they, they, just, that, they, they have no um, place culturally to, to, to engage with that, right? So some of those things are good, but also some of those things are really bad. A lot of the, the, the postmodernism and, uh, that, that, we've, that we've had in our society um, has seeped well into the church. Can truth really be known? Isn't, isn't this all uh, just, just based on your perspective? Isn't it all relative? Isn't, isn't the Bible just what you get out of it, not what it really says? Those things are really real things in the church, by the way, and they're really problematic. And so... I'm sure some of Paul's prayers for them was to hold to the truth and to know the truth. And he's going to lay out the truth of the gospel for them so that, to hopefully make sure that they land solidly on the truth of what the gospel is and hold to it tightly in the midst of a culture around them that was encouraging um, really kind of, uh, in a weird way, some similar things we encourage in our culture, which is which is you just kind of pursue your own truth, right? And for them, it was a little bit different because it was like you pursue your own God who's going to serve you if you serve him well or, or her well. And you, can, and you serve them well, and they're going to serve you well. And so you pursue this one or this one. And it's fine. You have your God. I have my God. Does that sound familiar at all? And he's saying, I'm praying for you. Always making mention of you in my prayers. And then he says this, he says, if perhaps, if perhaps now at last by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. He, he mentions this, and he'll mention this a few times throughout Romans, that he really wants to come and be with them for a while. Remember, this is not a church that he established, so he's never spent long periods of time with this church, and he would like to come and minister to them. And it, and it, makes, it only makes sense because Paul had a very unique ministry in the first century. He was called specifically to, to go out into the Gentile world, into the Roman world, into the Greek world. We'll talk about that culturally here in a second. But it, his call was to go out into this world and, and broadcast the news. And Rome was one of these unique places where Paul had never been, but the news had gotten there and it stirred up lots of people into following this Jesus. Now, our, our hypothesis on how that happened is that probably there were people from Rome there on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost. 
and that they heard this message and responded to this message and then went home and that it kind of started a wildfire there of, of response to who Jesus is. We don't know that for sure, but that's kind of our guess. But, but he wants to come. He wants to spend time with them. And it only makes sense because of his role within the church. The point on your handout, if you want to fill it in, um, we're not going to talk about that, uh, is this. The church in Rome came up frequently in Paul's conversations, prayers, and plans because of the reports of their exceptional evidences of faith. The church in Rome came up frequently in Paul's conversations, prayers, and plans because of the reports of their exceptional evidences of faith. Now, what's interesting about this, just maybe a little Bible trivia thing here, is that Paul does eventually get to Rome. Not on his timing, not in his plans. He eventually gets to Rome, uh, but he gets to Rome as a prisoner. Um, And so it's a little different than he had planned, but he eventually gets there. Let's go on, because I really want to get to 15. Um, Then he speaks to the why. Why Why does Paul want to see them? He says, for I long to see you that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So he starts by saying, part of the reason why I want to see you is that I may impart a a gift to you, a a, a spiritual gift to you. Um, Now, this is likely not talking about uh, what, what maybe he would talk about in 1 Corinthians about how each one of us is gifted differently and how, how um, that's, we're supposed to use those for the unity of the body. That's not what he's talking about here. He's really talking about this gospel he's been given to be able to share that with them, that share some aspect of it that they haven't thought about yet and, and encourage them in some way that they may be established, that, that they may be built up but then he, he stops for a second and he clarifies because he wants to be clear about something. And I like that he clarifies this. He says, that is, it's almost like he's correcting himself, but really he's kind of just extending the idea. He says, that is that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Uh, you guys know at this point that I'm kind of a, a, a word nerd. Um, I really like the Greek word here that, that's, that's translated as encouraged together. It's actually the only place that this word occurs in all of Scripture, um, or at least in this form. And it's, it's the word, um, okay, I'm going to get nerdy here for a second. So, so the word encourage is the word uh, parakaleo, and it, and it is... Um, it's a great word <laughs> in and of itself because what it means to encourage someone, anytime you see this in scripture, usually the word encourage, and there's a couple other words that get translated this way too, but you, usually the word encourage is this word parakaleo, which is this idea of walking together with someone else. That they're walking down this journey, whatever journey that they're on, and that you step in and you go, hey, come here. Let me, let me walk this with you, whatever you're going through. There, there's um, a couple of people in particular that I think of in this church who do this kind of thing, 
who just step in and, and walk the road with other people, whatever they're going through. Whatever you need from me, I'm just going to be there with you. And sometimes uh, encouragement, when it's used in other contexts, can be what you need right now is a slap in the back of the head, right? That's what you need. I don't know about you, but I've needed slaps in the back of the head. And I've had encouragers in my life who have slapped me in the back of the head, and I thank God for them. And sometimes it's just someone saying, just keep going. Just keep going. Just push through. Great word. But this word is sum parakaleo. So parakaleo is like this. This is my little illustration. Anybody know who that football player is? Okay, said last week no one watches football. Come on, J.J. Watt. He's one of the best defensive players of all time. Anyway, okay, so J.J. Uh, Watt is injured in this picture, right? And what happens in football and baseball and soccer and any sport that you look at, most of the time, if, if not golf, because nobody gets injured in golf, but um, <laughs> if a player is injured, what happens is a couple people come alongside them, right, and help them off the field because it's too hard for JJ to walk right now. So he needs a couple guys to, to lean on and probably needs a couple big guys like those guys. I wouldn't be any help in that situation um, to help him off the field, right? That's encouragement. But this idea of parakaleo is actually to encourage together. It's actually to, to come alongside and, and it's like you're both injured and you're both carrying each other along, right? Um, I don't know how that works, but I love the word. Because he said, I just want to come in with you. I have things that, you, that I need from you. I, I have ways that you have things about your faith as a community that can encourage me and help me along my journey. And I have things in my faith that, that can help you along your journey. I love this picture because, unfortunately, in my mind, in the 21st century, what ends up happening is there becomes a separation between those who are considered spiritual leaders in the church and particularly those who get the label pastor. Uh, I've probably expressed this before, but there's, there's statistics on this that pastors are some of the loneliest guys on the planet. And there's a re I, think it, I think it fits into this. It's because there's, there's this separation that occurs. I'm the giver, you're the receiver, and that's how this thing works. It's not how this thing works. We're, we're sum parakaleo. We're walking this road together. And whether you know it or not, there, and, and there's particular people within this body who have been walking with me since I got here. Thank you. There are some of you that I just witness your faith in the midst of crisis, and it's an encouragement to me. There are some of you that just say a word at, at a particular point, and I'm like, boy, did I need to hear that. This is what we're doing. We're walking together, encouraging one another. And Paul wants to really be clear about this, that this is mutual. This isn't some like clergy, laity distinction thing, which does not exist scripturally. Let's be encouraged together. All right, enough on that. Let's keep going. He says, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you 
and have been prevented so far, so that I may attain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. So he's just expressing again, he's been trying to get to Rome. He's had a heart to get to Rome since he's heard about their faith. He's wanted to get there. But he's been prevented. Again, we don't know exactly what he's talking about here, but we do get some some picture of what's going on here in, in Romans 15 when he refers to kind of what his priorities are in his ministry. That he was called to be a, a newscaster, right? To bring this good news to those who, who hadn't heard this good news. That was his role within the church. And so he always prioritized that. He always made that the top thing. And so what happened was he really wanted to go to Rome, but then God would would present him an opportunity to go to this area that had not heard this good news, and he prioritized this area over Rome. And then it happened again that he went to this area before he went to Rome because they hadn't heard the gospel yet. And so because of his priorities, he loved Rome, he wanted to encourage Rome, be mutually encouraged together, but it was down on his list of priorities because he knew what his primary role was, which was bring this good news to those who haven't heard it yet. And, 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 uh, and there, there might be more to this. You know, I expressed last week that there was this time period in which Jews were expelled from Rome. Well, Paul's a Jew. He couldn't go there during that time. So maybe that was part of it. The, the prevention might, might have been, been part of it. Regardless of, of what the prevention was, He's just expressing, I've, been, I've really wanted to come. I've been prevented from doing that. It's not that I don't, I, I don't want to, to, to go and meet you because I do think there's some fruits that will come from that. There's some good in your life, in your faith life as a church that will come from me coming. But so far I've been prevented. And I'm just going to trust God that hopefully he'll get me there one day. I'm not going to push my will above what God has for me. And then he says this statement, and this statement is particularly um, important, I think, for us. He says, I'm under obligation to both Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. This, him being under obligation is the idea of being in debt. He's indebted to the Greeks and the barbarians, to the wise and to the foolish. Now, the reason why they translate it under obligation is, even though it means a debt, it literally means like, I owe you money. That's the word that's here. But it doesn't make a whole lot of sense if you think about it. Being indebted to the Greeks, being indebted to the barbarians. Like, isn't he bringing the good news of Christ? Like, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. But think about it this way. If, if I owe, no, no, no. If Melissa owes Ted 20 bucks, Okay, so she's indebted to Ted for that 20 bucks. But then she says, oh, you're going to see Ted on Tuesday. Here, take this 20 bucks to Ted. Now, I've taken what Melissa gave me, and, and I, now, I am now indebted to Ted, right? Because I need to get this 20 bucks to him. That's the idea here. Paul had been given the, the gift, the wealth of the gospel of Christ 
the gospel of God. And now his debt was to go and share that, to pay off the debt by sharing this truth that he's been entrusted with to deliver to the people. And he describes the people, and this is good news for us because he says his, his, his gospel, his obligation to, to share the gospel, part of what he's doing in Romans is, is fulfilling this obligation he has to share both to Greeks and to barbarians. Now, understand the idea of Greek here does not mean someone from Greece. It, it, means, the, it, it means the culturally Greek peoples. Um, it's a little bit like uh, today, I'm really lost in my notes, so I'm trying to find what I'm doing here, but I'm, 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 I'm lost. I have no idea where I am. Uh, uh, oh, there I am. Okay, here we go. Okay, so... Um, these are, these are culturally Greek peoples that he's talking about. It's a little bit like how we talk about the Western world today, right? Like that's not a country, it's not even a particular people group, but it's, it's a cultural um, designation. Or to say that we're a part of the first world and those in maybe South America and Africa are part of the third world, which if we think about that, those cultures are extremely different. Can we, can we agree? Like what's happening in central Nigeria today is very different than what's happening in Red Bluff, California today, right? Very, very different culturally. And, um, and, and so what he's talking about here is like the Greek-speaking peoples, uh, which Greek was the, the common language at the time. It was, it's a little bit like English today. If, if you want to engage in international commerce, you've got to learn English. Um, in their time, you had to learn Greek. That's the only way, really, that you're going to get any sort of business done um, is, is, is learning this. So, so, so as Rome spread, as the Roman Empire spread, the, the, the language of Greek spread and the culture of Greece, the Greek culture spread. And so he's saying, I'm under obligation to both the Greek world, which would probably be like the first world of their time, and also to the barbarians. I don't know about you, but I think of barbarians and I think of guys with weird hats and like, you know, like, but, but the idea is non-Greek people is the barbarians here. Everybody else, those who were considered in their time as kind of uncultured, that I have an obligation both to the, to the cultured in our world and the uncultured of our world, everybody. I have an obligation, and this gospel is for both the wise and the foolish, which probably the easiest way to think about this idea is, is the educated and the uneducated. Those, those who have lots of learning and have maybe spent time in, in, in academies and, and, and you know, learning all of these, these uh, learning how to read and, and, and you know, these scribal guys and like super high-level guys and the guy who knows little to nothing as far as he just, he, his dad was a farmer and now he's a farmer and that's all he knows and, and it's to them too. And in our time, it, it's, it's the, the professors of the world and, and those who are like lifelong university students uh, who get their doctorates and it's those who never graduated high school. And the great news is that this gospel isn't locked away 
to those who are super smart or super well-educated. That it, that it, is, it is understandable and, and able to be communicated to people from all walks of life. It's, it's a universal message that's not culturally bound, which becomes important for our world too because a lot of the knocks on scripture is that it's culturally bound. Don't believe it. Yes, it exists in a culture, but is not bound to that culture by any way, shape, or form. Pointing your hand out if you want to fill it in. Is Paul desired to have a mutually beneficial ministry in Rome in which their faith would encourage him and his good news would change their lives? Paul desired to have a mutually beneficial ministry in Rome in which their faith would encourage him and his good news would change their lives. Now we get to what I really want to get to today. This section is what I would call probably the thesis statement of Romans. You know, the thesis statement, if you remember back in your English papers that you had to write when you were younger, that this is like the topic sentence. Like, this is laying out what you're going to talk about in the rest of the, of the paper. This is him laying out, this is, this is what I'm about to talk about. This is what I'm about to, to unleash upon you is this idea. He says this. He says, so for my part, my part of this mutual encouragement that, that I want to have with you, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. I'm, 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 I'm ready and, and willing, and as soon as I can get to you, I want to get to you, and I want to preach don't love that word anymore because it's so loaded in our society, the word preach. It just means announce. I, I just want to share with you. I, I want to broadcast the news to you. And it's this good news. I want to broadcast it to you. I wanna, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a herald bringing you this good news, and I want to go bring it to you. And, 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 and understand part of what's implied here is that it's not his gospel, which may seem obvious, but he's, he's the one bringing the good news. Heralds of his time were those who would go out from the king and go into all the different communities and proclaim a message. You know, we just conquered whatever, you know, and they'd go say that to everyone. Um, that wasn't their message. They were bringing a message for someone else. And so I want to bring this message to you that I've been given who are in Rome. And then he says, why? And we might find this to be odd at first. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not embarrassed about this thing. You know, embarrassment or, or being ashamed is that, is that sinking feeling that I know all of us have experienced um, of, of doing something wrong, saying something wrong. Sometimes that's a, that's a moral failure, like maybe you lost your temper with someone and, you're, and you're, that's, it's sinking in, right? The anger is gone and you're like, ah. Oh, now I'm a little sheepish, you know, and I got to go back to this person and I'm sorry, you know, uh, right? I'm ashamed of my behavior. Um, sometimes it happens when we just make a mistake. Um, 
My first real job uh, was being a busboy at a, at a restaurant. And as you can imagine, what happens sometimes with 16-year-old busboys is that we'll drop a tray, right? And, and you've probably been in a restaurant where this happens, and it's all clank, 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 clank. And what happens? Of course, everybody just keeps eating their meal, right? No. Everybody's like, whoop, hey, and you're like, hey, red face, right? Like, ah, uh, you know? Um, or, or maybe you've had that sense of kind of being ashamed because you're associated with some people. Like maybe your family has embarrassed you at times. You're like, oh, I'm not with them, you know? And you kind of, you get this, this sense of, of embarrassment, But he says, I'm not ashamed of this, which in his culture is even more than just feeling a little bit of embarrassment. He lived in in what we term now really as like an honor and shame culture. Those exist in our world too. Um, Places uh, in the Middle East, uh, definitely China uh, is a place that comes to my mind a lot. Those are honor and shame cultures that, that the most important thing in life in their culture, is to bring honor to yourself, to your family, to your community, that that is the most important thing. That is not our society, right? Um, People do completely ridiculous things all the time and know that probably people are going to forget about it in a couple years. But in an honor-shame culture, no, 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 that, that ruins your reputation, and not only your reputation, but the reputation of your family. And that and usually that means um, people who are honorable don't want to associate with you anymore, which means we're not going to have meals together. It means I'm probably not going to frequent your little merchant stand. I'm going to, uh, we don't want to associate with someone who has that kind of shame on them. And so what drives those kind of societies is avoiding dishonor first, and then hopefully increasing the honor, bringing honor to yourself and to your family and to your community. He lived in that kind of a culture. And to be a Christian, to claim this gospel that he proclaims from some seems like a dishonorable thing in his time. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And that idea of foolishness is, is really, a, it's a shameful idea. They look at it as kind of shameful, weak. In fact, many people in the first century, we have writings where people express this, looked at Jesus as, 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 as a weak, um, criminal you know, he died a criminal's death. And, and, and you claim him as your God, that weak guy who died on a, on a Roman cross? How shameful is that to follow that guy? Especially in a culture that sought power and, and status and domination overall. That was, that was the Roman culture. And, our, and this gospel calls for self-sacrifice and humility and and, and our weakness for his strength. And in, in our time too, it, it's different than in his time. But increasingly we live in a society that is trying to shame us. Right? Um, 
A very well-known atheist, uh, Richard Dawkins, says this in his book, God Delusion, right? Just the name, of, just the title of that is like, we're all delusional, right? Faith is the great cop-out, the great excuse to evade the need to think and evaluate evidence. Faith is the belief in spite of, even perhaps because of, the lack of evidence, You guys are unthinking, illogical. You believe in myths and fairy tales, like the parting of the Red Sea. Yeah, come on, really? You know, a man rising from the dead. God actually being a human person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Little Red Riding Hood, yeah, was going to be eaten by a wolf too, right? Uh-huh. Right? Fairy tales. We, um, another guy here, another very popular atheist who likes to tear down Christianity, Sam Harris, says the notion that Jesus Christ died for our sins and that his death constitutes, constitutes a successful <coughs> excuse me, propitiation of a loving God is a direct and undisguised inheritance of the superstitious bloodletting that has plagued bewildered people throughout history. Come on. Get into the 21st century, guys. Seriously. Like, you're still believing stuff that people believed in the dark ages. Come on. And this is the increasing attitude in our culture. And you add to that, that that we are intolerant, bigoted for, our, for a biblical stance on the ideas of homosexuality and bisexuality and transgenderism and those kinds of things. Well, you're just bigoted and intolerant. Or you're, you're prudish and, and out of touch, your views on it. no sex outside of marriage? Come on. You guys are like repressed. Pornography, like everybody looks at pornography. Just let it go. Or we're hypocritical or judgmental. Because the only stories that ever get propagated in our society about Christianity are the failures of Christianity, right? Of, of Christians, those who claim the name of Christ. The latest one is Jerry Falwell Jr. Anybody following that? right? Of course that's going to be published everywhere. Man, his wife was sleeping with another guy. He was probably watching. Ah, da, da. Like, that's the world's view of us. It's hypocritical and judgmental. And so increasingly in our society, it's actually okay to still hold the label Christian. That's still okay in our society. I think that's probably going to change too. But you can hold the label Christian as long as you don't hold any of those beliefs about what the Bible says. Just be a Christian without that stuff. And that's increasingly in our, happening in our society, right? I'm a Christian homosexual. Right? That, that, that makes no sense. By saying you're a Christian, you're saying you've given up your life to follow Christ, who says that's not the right lifestyle for you. That's not not the partner he ever intended for you. And you go, oh, but I'm doing this too. But I I thought you said you're following Christ with your life. No, 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 I'm doing this. 
So I'm doing this and I'm just slapping on the label of Christianity, right? That's acceptable in our society. You want to be acceptable, that's the way to go. But increasingly, holding to biblical values, it's not going to cut it in our society. More and more, you're going to be shamed. We're going to be shamed. And as our society wants to shame us, Paul's society definitely wanted to shame him. His smaller community of being a Jew, an Israelite, they wanted to shame him. And we know some of the ways that they were trying to shame him. And the larger Roman Greek culture was trying to shame him. But he said, I'm not ashamed. And let me tell you why I'm not ashamed. Because this gospel that I am bringing to you is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Like, he's like, I am, I'm not going to shrink back a, a single moment from sharing this gospel because regardless of what of you're trying to shame me, let me tell you why I'm not shamed. This message is the power of the God of the universe. It contains his power. The God who put this in the sky and this in the sky. Doesn't that look fake? That's a real picture from the Hubble telescope. It's actually called the pillars of creation. And I go, yeah, uh-huh, yep. That's right, right? Or this, right? God did this. The power that created this. The power that, that, that set up our, our ozone layer in such a way that these magnetic forces create that. He made that, right? I could sit there for a little bit, look at that. No, okay, uh, he made that. He created the physical forces of surface tension that, create, that allow water to do that. And then he created an ant with the ability to push that little ball of water. Like, this is our God, right? Who does this kind of stuff. And does this kind of stuff. Man, those guys are powerful. <laughs> they are. And that God focused all of his attention and his power and, and, and put it into this good news. It's like, I'm not going to be ashamed of that. Are you kidding me? I'm going to tell everybody I see it's that good. And not only is it the power of God, but it's the power of God for salvation. It's the power of God that can actually save us. The one thing that everybody agrees on, 100% of the time, I guarantee you, you just do this in your own life. Go walk into work tomorrow and take a poll of everyone at your, at your workplace and say, is the world pretty good or pretty messed up? And they're all going to say, pretty messed up. I'm pretty good, but the rest of the world, pretty messed up, Right? We're in a mess, a real mess. And it just, we're just shown it over and over and over and over. I, I, I think part of why God allows some of this, this mess that we see right now, right, is, is to remind us of how messed up we truly are. And we're actually going to see that 
in the next section, the next passage, that we are messed up. That you are messed up. And me too. And God focused his power into a message that can drag us out of that, pull us out of that. I'm not going to be ashamed of that. What, where's the shame in this? Nah. A message that can save you out of your mess? I'm telling everybody about it. And, and, and truly, I'm telling everyone about it. Because it's not a salvation message just for some. It's a salvation message for everybody. Like, this, this would have been new information, shouldn't have been new information, but would have been new information for many Jewish people. Because we're the chosen ones, right? We're the special ones. And yeah, God used you in a special way, no question. There's no denying that. But this salvation, this power that God focused into saving us is for everybody. We, we want to, to stick in our little tribes, right? We want to always be looking for the good in our little space. In fact, so one of the things that always... Um, it doesn't surprise me, but it always a little bit irritates me is that any time that, that politics are addressed, it's always, always about me, right? I want to elect the official who's going to bring, take things my way, right? So that's why, you know, endorsements happen all the time politically, right? So I get the... AFL-CIO to endorse me, that means my group is going to get something good from this guy, so my group's going to vote for this guy, right? That's how politics work. That's how they're, they're always, every stump speech, every, they're, all they're trying to do is convince you that I'm the guy who's going to help you, right? This is not that. This is not, let's get into our conservative, liberal camps. Let's not get into our racial divisions. Let's not get into, it, this is for everybody. Doesn't matter who you are. If you're young, if you're old, if you're red, yellow, black, white. Doesn't matter your status, if you're single or married or divorced. It doesn't matter if your creed comes from Buddha or Krishna or uh, Muhammad or from the Torah. Um, it doesn't matter if you are a steelworker or a farmer or a professor or a, politici a politician. Yeah, um, It doesn't matter if you're any of those things. No matter what category you place yourself into, this message is for all categories of person. So is this message universal salvation? It's not universal salvation. Because it's for everyone who believes. Right? It's not that every category of person isn't, the message isn't for them. It is for them. But it's only effectual. It only works for the good of those who believe. Now, keep in mind, this isn't intellectual assent. This isn't, oh, yeah, I believe that. 
No, no, no. This is, this is the verb form of the, of, of the word that we translate faith. This is to place your trust in. This is to fundamentally transform your life from someone who trusts in your resources and what you can do and the good that you can offer others. And, and you change that from a dependence upon yourself to a dependence upon him and what he's done and the good of who he is. The simplest illustration I, I can think of with this is, is it's like being on the Titanic as it's sinking, right? And you're sitting there at the, at the edge of the Titanic, and there's a rescue boat right below you. And they're going, come on, get in, we've got room for you, hop on. And you look at it and go, that doesn't seem very seaworthy. It's there, it's a rescue boat. It's going to save you, but unless you jump into the boat, you're going down with a ship, right? It's offered to you, but it's not effectual for you. But this is this gospel he's talking about. And it's a gospel that, was, that has been around, and he'll prove this later. Uh, but it was offered first to the Jewish people and then to the rest of the world, they were the ones to originally hold the, the keys to the gospel message. And, and now it, it's going everywhere. And then he describes it. Man, I'm running out of time, and I want to just talk about this forever. He says, for in it, we'll get to more details on this. For in it, the contents of this thing is the righteousness of, of God. The righteousness of God. Righteousness is, is the state of being right and living right. How do I live my life the way I was intended to live my life? How do I live my best life, my ideal, the ideal human life? How do I do that? I guarantee you, not everybody phrases it that way, but everybody wants to know the answer to that question. And you ask 100 different people, and 100 different people are going to tell you 100 different ways that you need to live your life, to live the right life, the best life. And so everybody's searching for, you know, what do I do with my life? How do I, how do I know what's right? How do, I know, how do I know my truth? How do I live my truth? What is my fate? What is my destiny? These are questions that have existed for all people for all time. What am I doing here? What, what, what should I be doing here? How do I live my life the, 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 the right way or the best way? How can I be my best self, my best person? And usually, we want to answer that question for ourselves. Either we think we're smart enough to figure that out on our own, or we've been convinced that some other person is smart enough to figure that out. The problem with that is they're just another person as dumb as you are, right? Like, we all don't have a clue. And all of us trying to live the, our best lives the way it's supposed to be has created a complete mess. And history is the story of those messes, right? And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of this thing because in it is not the righteousness 
you think. It's not even the right life that I think I should be living. This is the righteousness of the creator of the universe. The one who created you, the one who created you with a purpose and a, and, 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 and a, and a plan, and, and, and he, des- he had a desire for you when he created you, and he knows what's best for you. In fact, he wrote the book on you. He knows every ounce of your being and, and every ounce of what it will take for you to be who you were meant to be. And this gospel reveals that. And you want me to be ashamed of that? No, thank you. Why would I be ashamed of that? It reveals God's righteousness. And, and not only does it reveal kind of, you know, the, the, a complete picture of that, but this has been revealed from faith to faith. Like this idea, the central core of the message, and, and, and he'll get to this, the central core of the message is faith. And he says it's been revealed throughout time. In fact, his plan, our response to God has not changed from the beginning. He was asking Adam and Eve, do you trust me? He was asking Noah, do you trust me? He was asking Abraham, do you trust me? He was asking Isaac and Jacob and and Moses, do you trust me? He was asking Israel throughout their different iterations over time, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Do you trust me? And he was asking them in the first century, do you trust me? And he's asking us here in the 21st century, do you trust me? It's the center, center issue here, central issue here. Because, and he will unpack this in a big way, he says, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. It's out of Habakkuk. You want to live the right life, the life you were created to live, the the, the the way to live the best human life you could possibly live, it's lived by faith. Faith is the key. Faith is the essence of it. And that idea has been around since the beginning of man. We just haven't been very good at responding to it. Point on your handout is this. The content of Paul's message has the power to save anyone who would be willing to entrust their lives to it. The content of Paul's message has the power to save anyone who would be willing to entrust their lives to it. Just read the bottom of the handout here. It says, the people in the church in Rome were living out extraordinary faith. The evidences of their faith were so undeniable that the word had gotten out. Paul's hope was to visit them in order to both encourage and be encouraged by their faith. His news was intended to transform lives both in Rome and in Red Bluff. Its implications are so universal that no matter where you are from or what you have previously known or understood, Paul's message is for you. And best of all, the content of this message is so powerful that it has the ability to fix all that is wrong with humanity if we would simply place our trust in it. Just got to add one thing to that real quick. <laughs> Our world's a mess, and the solutions to the mess are 
myriad, right? Like everybody's coming up with some solution to racial injustice, to skyrocketing abuse rate, divorce rate, suicide rate. And the answers are here. The answers are, are, are in the gospel. Okay, I'm just gonna leave it there. All right, here we go. Last questions. What is, what is your level of trust in the gospel of God? Would others know it and see it in you? really think that's the core of what Paul is trying to communicate throughout Romans, but here. He's going to present the gospel to us, but what's our level of trust in it? And would others know it to see it in us? Because that's kind of the proofs in the pudding, right? If you really trust a rickety bridge, you're going to step out on the bridge, Right? Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you again for this truth. Thank you again for what's coming in Romans. Thanks for the hints of it this morning. I pray that you would be um, preparing our hearts, um, tilling the ground of our hearts in preparation for these truths that you are going to lay out over the next months for us. Just pray that we would, um, we would, choose to entrust ourselves to them. And that as we entrust ourselves to them, we become so convinced of their power, so convinced of their transformational ability, so convinced of their ability to save us and others, that it would just flow out of our lives. That we wouldn't have to have some sort of evangelistic strategy to, to accomplish what needs to be accomplished, but that people would just know you because they know us. Help us to live as people who, who are, are living out this good message. Pray this all in your name.